Hello and welcome to the My VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk with veterans in the Western Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Leese, your host with co-host Greg Tucker. We have with us today a U.S. Navy veteran, Joe Stewart. He served as a U.S. Navy pilot and educator during his service to our nation, supporting missions throughout the world. Joe moved to Springfield in 2007 to care for his wife, who was gravely ill at the time. After her passing, he met and married his current wife, Shirley. Joe has a role as an active veteran stakeholder committee member and has been in this role for about five years now. He also serves the local community as the co-chair of the Springfield Masonic Community Veterans Roll Call. This is a group of veterans whose average age is around 75 years that meets monthly. Welcome to our show, Joe. Thank you, Scott. Very nice to be here. And we're so glad to have you. So before we get to know a little bit more about you, we are going to put you to the test. (laughs) That's right. It's time to play Don't Tell Me I Think I Know That. (laughs) This is the game where we put our guests to the test of their knowledge of military trivia. It's also a game where our listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired in mounds of military minutiae as ours are. Are you ready to take the challenge? I'm ready. Go ahead, please. All right. Super. Well, here is your first question. Uh, Like most uh, U.S. Navy ships, the USS Franklin, a CV-13, has a nickname. Uh, what What is that nickname? Would it be A, the Big Ben, B, Friendly Frank, C, the Founding Father, or D, Benny on the Waves? I'm going to go with A, Scott. That's right. A, Big Ben. This was the uh, fifth warship named after founding father Benjamin Franklin. Late in World War II, Franklin was about 50 miles from the Japanese home island Hanushu. A lone Japanese dive bomber was able to score hits with about uh, two 550-pound bombs. These bombs started a chain reaction of explosions among fueled and armed aircraft on Big Ben's flight deck and hangar deck. Over 800 officers and men were killed, making Franklin's KIA total second only to the USS Arizona. Now, here is your next question. Uh, What does it mean to deep six something? Would it be A, attach to the anchor, B, throw it away, C, bury it, or D, hide it? I'm going to say throw it overboard, throw it away, B. That's right. Originally, the term deep six was the call of the uh, Lutzman signifying that the water is more than six fathoms deep, but less than seven. Now it's you've, uh, now it's synonymously known uh, for throwing something overboard and getting rid of it or throwing it away. Uh, now, here is your third and final question. You're doing fantastic. Let's see if you can get all three right. Uh, what rating are you if you are an anchor clanker? So, would it be A, steel worker, B, damage controlman, C, boatswain's mate, D, hull maintenance technician? C, boatswain's mate. That's right. The history of the bosun's mate is an old is old of the Navy itself, actually. Uh, from the beginning of seafaring ships, there has been a need for an able-bodied man to lower the thick mast, swab the deck, pipe 12 o'clock reports. 
this need formed into the bosun's mate rate in, in 1797, actually, not 1977, 1797. So, yes, uh, Greg, he's he's got them all right. Uh, fantastic. Uh, so, you know, what what is Joe won for playing our game today? We have a set of four Dayton VA industrial strength chip clips designed by NASA's aerospace engineers to keep your snacks fresh at home or wherever you may be traveling in the near future. All compliments of the Dayton VA. Yes, and now we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear more from Joe about his military service and civilian career. Our veterans put everything on the line to protect our freedom. We may never be able to repay them for their sacrifice, but we can show them just how much we appreciate all they've done. Every day, hundreds of people just like you volunteer to help our veterans. You can help by simply sharing your time, lending a warm smile, a supportive hand, or a sympathetic ear to someone who needs it. Everyone can do something to make our veterans know how much we appreciate their service. What will you do? And we're back with U.S. Navy veteran Joe Stewart. So, Joe, if you could, please, uh, let's start off with um, how and why you became a stakeholder with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Well, Scott, I was uh, utilizing the um, clinic in Springfield, um, and um, I got to know the manager there. Uh, and uh, over time, uh, I began to appreciate each other, and he actually asked me to become a member of the stakeholders committee. It uh, had about uh, six people on it, and uh, because of uh, various issues, people came on the committee and left the committee. So uh, I was glad to to respond to that and become a member of the of the committee. And um, shortly thereafter, they built a brand new clinic in Springfield. Uh, short term as CBOC for community-based outpatient clinic. And so uh, I just stayed on that stakeholders committee. The purpose of the stakeholders committee is to uh, be a, a, a conduit, if you will, for problems that come up amongst the people that are using the clinic and bringing that to the administration's attention. And also the other way to help promote things that are going on in the clinic, uh, which we do regularly by uh, putting up a desk in the lobby and handing out brochures and uh, and even having uh, off and on uh, events like a hot dog sale or that type of thing. So and, we're, we're a two-way organization. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, so tell us some of the changes you've witnessed or been involved in uh, since being on the committee. Well, again, the brand new clinic that the VA built is just a wonderful facility. Uh, it It's uh, much better to get in and out of. Uh, the uh, numbers of services that you can get there have expanded somewhat. So you can have optometric, you can have audio, uh, and you can have uh, full lab work done there. Uh, you, they just uh, created a capability for someone to come out from the Dayton VA once or twice a week to actually bring eyeglasses out for people that got new prescriptions. Uh, uh, the also, the electronic capability there is great. Uh, they can do uh, streamed programs. They can do interviews uh, from other VA locations. And uh, it's very easy to get in and out of lots of parking, uh, very, very large uh, room to sit in while you're waiting for your appointment to come up. Uh, 
a really, really nice facility and uh, much improved. And also, it, uh, it not only covers Clark County, where Springfield is located, but also covers Champaign County. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, convenient, more convenient to get in and out of than it was before. Absolutely. Uh, so, so tell us, if you could, um, what, what kind of experiences have you had uh, working with the veterans? Well, specifically with regard to the uh, Stakeholders Committee, uh, we have enlisted more people to come and use the services. Um, there's a general reluctance, particularly on the part of people who didn't serve overseas but served in the, in the service in the United States or didn't serve in combat. Um, they sort of don't think that they uh, are uh, eligible for VA services, right. which is not correct. Uh, so we get out and uh, and push uh, the information to them through a variety of means. Uh, one of our stakeholders uh, has a very wide following on the internet and a very large email address uh, group. And so he takes information from our uh, monthly meetings directly to that group. Uh, other people, like uh, some of the other members of the stakeholders, are members of the VFW and. Uh, I'm myself a member of the American Legion, and again, uh, we take information directly to the uh, to our veterans roll call group there at the Masonic Springfield Masonic Campus. So it's a it's a way to uh, get more information out to veterans. Another member of our, uh, our stakeholders committee is uh, the deputy director of the Veterans Support Office in Clark County. Uh, each county in Ohio having a veteran support office. Mm -hmm. So uh, she both brings more information to us, but also accepts information from from the uh, uh, speakers that we have on our monthly sure, uh, absolutely. Uh, Teams meeting. Right. So um, tell me how this new PACT Act is uh, affecting what you all do with the Stakeholders Committee in your, in your outreach to veterans. You know, you'd said before that there are a lot of veterans who uh, for one reason or another, think that they're not even eligible um, uh, or might even have in the past been denied, but with this new legislation, uh, it's really changing the game. Not only that, um, it it turns out, and I just learned this this week, it turns out that there uh, are locations where you could have served that are now uh, accepted as uh, uh, evidence that you were exposed to toxic mm -hmm. substances. Uh, I myself found out that two of the locations that I served in the Pacific are now accepted. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and again, if you have the ability to transfer that information to veterans and they can't figure out why they're having some kind of a symptom or whatever, it may be a way for them to get veterans um, services that are understood and accepted already rather than have them having to go in and Sort right. of fight the political right. or the uh, bureaucratic battle to get those services. Absolutely. So uh, did that answer your question? It sure did. Mm -hmm. uh, so another following question of that though is: Have you actually filed a claim yet? Uh, not under the Pact Act. Okay. I have filed a claim because of uh, um, service-connected disabilities mm -hmm. when I retired from the Navy. 
Right. And and that was uh, that was successful. Yeah. So with with this new legislation that went into effect in, in the fall with the president's signature, uh, it, it actually is increasing um, ex, um, services to over six million, affecting I should say, uh, affecting six million right. veterans across the country. Um, who might have been exposed to toxins. Uh, so as you had mentioned before, there are areas of operation that include uh, service in Korea, Vietnam, and post 9-11 conflicts. Uh, and in any veteran that might be curious as to whether or not they were in those theaters of operations in certain windows, timeframes, uh, we encourage them to go to www.va gov slash pact that's p-a-c-t pact right. uh, and that is the promise to address comprehensive toxins uh, act and if you go to that website uh, www.va.gov slash pact it lists all the uh, areas of operations that um, uh, a, a veteran might be eligible for it also lists uh, all the presumptive conditions associated with those services. Uh, so if you have hypertension or uh, cancer or lung disease or a variety of other presumptive conditions, um, that is the difference from what used to be uh, determining your eligibility for VA, not just healthcare, but VA benefits, you know, compensation, pension, etc. cetera, um, that actually you don't have to prove that those presumptive conditions are connected with your service in the military if you were in those theaters of operations. It's now presumed. That's why they call them presumptive conditions, of course. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a whole lot easier for those veterans. And as I said before, it's affecting six million veterans uh, and, and actually giving a, uh, a number of folks who, again, might have never uh, known that they would have the opportunity to receive uh, VA health care or, or VA benefits uh, or might have been turned down before for various reasons that they couldn't show that they actually had a, a service connection uh, and didn't have a disability rating so therefore weren't um, weren't given those benefits before but now they have the opportunity to file that claim and again you go to that that website www.va.gov slash pact and you can not just see the information, but you can file the claim right there on that and get your toxin screenings and, and get that uh, determination uh, whether or not you are qualified for uh, benefits through the PACT Act. There's huh. another, um, there's <laughs> another um, advantage to the PACT Act, and that is that it includes the hiring of, I think, up to 3,000 new agents to help with the processing of these claims. Absolutely. Yeah, which it's, would be a real benefit. Yeah, because they're they're getting uh, thousands of claims a day, actually. Like I said, it's affecting 6 million veterans. Uh, but but it's not just the um, the people that are processing the claims, but also uh, in the healthcare uh, arena, it's actually expanding the number of providers that are going to give services. So right. uh, it, uh, this is the biggest expansion uh, in the VA since World War II, actually. Right. So uh, there's a lot of people who think, well, you know, the big conflict of World War II and the and the previous wars uh, that you know we we haven't had that. Well, actually, we have had that in, in, especially in the post 9-11, and then also going, finally addressing some of those issues from Korea right. and from Vietnam that haven't been fully addressed before. So exactly. um, this, this, is, this is huge for the VA, and we are thrilled for those veterans who 
now we're going to have the opportunity to have expanded uh, care and benefits. If I might, uh, Scott, my brother is a Vietnam veteran, and um, because of his service in country in Vietnam, he was a presumptive uh, VA client, if you will. And uh, he has proceeded to the point where he's got a 60% uh, disability rating and he's getting his health care in uh, Michigan at the VA. Uh, he went through quite a period of time uh, to obtain that. And I think it's going to be a lot easier for people under the PACT Act to uh, get their presumptive situation addressed. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's, uh, it's also an expansion for not just the people who are aren't enrolled or haven't had any contact with the VA. It's, uh, for some people, uh, it is an expansion in their disability rating, or, may, or maybe they don't have a disability rating right. and currently are paying co-pays or you know, there's some out-of-pocket expense. Still a great bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> However, uh, it, it's actually taking that burden off of uh, a lot of veterans because now they're going to have a disability rating or an increased disability rating that they didn't have before. Uh, uh, courtesy of the PACT Act. So, right. Joe, <clears throat> it seems like you joined the Navy right after high school. Or, wait, let me back up. Right after high school, you went into the Navy Academy. Is right. that Annapolis? Annapolis, yes. Okay. Yeah. Annapolis, okay. Maryland. Uh, yes, I went, I had two weeks off between graduating from high school and starting out uh, as a fourth-class midshipman at the Naval Academy, right? Okay. Now, that's not an easy place to get into. Tell us about how did you manage to... Okay. I, uh, I was uh, nominated by my congressman, who was Charles E. Chamberlain in Michigan, in uh, uh, Genesee County, Michigan. And he was a, a congressman, but he had also graduated from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy himself. So he was very familiar and, and very uh, made sure that you went through all the hoops in order to be qualified. You know, so uh, one of the most interesting ones I had to drive to Chicago to get a physical, and uh, that was uh, maybe kind of outside of the realm of what people thought they wanted to do. You know, so you had to take all the standard tests. You had to have a good good grade point average in high school, uh, and. If you had some leadership uh, experience in high school, that was important as well. So I did get the nomination. It turned out, which I didn't know at the time, that he was a high school classmate of uh, our pharmacist in my hometown. And oh, okay. <laughs> that didn't hurt. <laughs> so uh, that's how I got my nomination. Uh, and um, there are various uh, ways you can be nominated. You can be a standby, you can be an alternate, or they can send you to uh, a college or a, uh, a school to bone up for a year. Uh, the Navy uh, in Bainbridge, Maryland has the uh, Naval Academy Preparatory School. Okay. So uh, some of the guys from Michigan went there for a year, uh, whereas I didn't have to do that. A famous uh, example of that would be Roger Staubach from Cincinnati. Oh. He, uh, he was sent to uh, New Mexico Institute in Roswell, New Mexico for a year to uh, bone up before he went to the Naval Academy. Are you familiar with Roger? Uh, yes, okay. of course. <laughs> well, it turns out that while he was at Roswell, he uh, he was a little All-American in three sports for in that one year. 
at, and, at the New Mexico Institute, and then he went to the Naval Academy and, all, and ultimately became an, an All-American quarterback. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, so uh, he's, he's an example of uh, being sent to get your grade point up a little bit before you were challenged there. Okay, now, while you were there, was it at that time you decided you wanted to pursue aviation? Or? Absolutely, yeah. I, uh, I always wanted to fly the P-3, and that's probably because my first flight in an aircraft was in a Lockheed Electra airliner from Detroit to uh, Washington National Airport, and the P-3 is a offshoot of the Lockheed Electra airliner. Okay. It's a military modification. And... Uh, I got it eventually. So now, is that something like Top Gun? Because a lot of times, you know, when Top Gun came out, you probably had a lot of people ask you, uh, "Yeah, are is that something that you had to experience, or what about landing on and off, uh, taking off from aircrafts?" Right. Uh, at the time I went through flight training, uh, you had to qualify on an aircraft carrier in a single-engine aircraft, which was that was called a T twenty-eight, built okay. in in Columbus by North American. And uh, you had to make six successful landings. And I got my six landings. <laughs> and then uh, I went through advanced multi-engine training and uh, that was a Grumman twin engine aircraft called a T2. And uh, I had to make six landings in the T2. Mm -hmm. So I have a grand total of 12 landings. Uh, aircraft carrier aviators have many hundreds of landings, you know. But uh, since I went into land-based aircraft, uh, I didn't didn't do any of the aircraft carrier work after that. So why the Navy? Uh, you know, were you, first of all, were you a pilot before you went into the into no, the military? No, I was not. No. Okay, so why did you go into the Navy if you know if you wanted to fly? Why not the Air Force? Because I got a a. Uh, Nomination to the Naval Academy. Why did you go to Annapolis instead of Colorado right. Springs? I right. guess is what, well, is what I'm asking. No one in my immediate family had been in the military. Okay. I, and I'm I'm the first generation on my mother's side of the family that was ever in the military. Uh, and a little background there, I'm the uh, eighth generation direct descendant of the first Amish bishop in the United States. Really? Right. My... Uh, Grandmother's maiden name was Hartzler, H-A-R-T-Z-L-E-R, -E and his name was Jacob Hartzler. So uh, the Amish and then Mennonite and then Church of the Brethren uh, organizations are all pacifists. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until my generation that uh, any of us, any of us cousins went in the military. So, uh, you know, that was not exactly preordained in my family. So then what was your calling uh, other, my, than, other than you got the the the, um, the right. chance to go to the academy? Uh, it, I was influenced by the uh, pharmacist in my hometown who okay. had been a warrant officer pharmacist in World War II in the Mediterranean, in the Navy. All right. Well, where were some of the places that you were uh, stationed or deployed to? Uh, well, my first squadron after flight training was on the East Coast, and I deployed all over the Atlantic uh, to various islands like Bermuda, uh, the Lodges and the Azores Islands, uh, Iceland, and Argentia, Newfoundland. And then I uh, left to go to the West Coast, and from there I went uh, to, to go to postgraduate school, and then I went to Sicily, the island in the middle of the Mediterranean, and I had a, a tour there as a shore station officer. And from there, I went into research and development because of my master's degree uh, destined me to, to be in that business as well in weapons systems acquisition. 
And from that tour in Pennsylvania, I went to my second squadron tour, which was in Hawaii. And uh, that was Patrol Squadron 17. And there I flew all over the Pacific and also in the Indian Ocean and up into uh, Saudi, Saudi Arabia area. So, um, so you've had some very scenic assignments. Absolutely, you've had, you had some. Mm -hmm. you, you've toured the world. You uh, actually are are living proof of the join the navy, see, see the, the world. world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the only ocean uh, area that I didn't fly in was the South Atlantic. So I've 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 been to Australia, New Zealand, uh, and uh, I spent four months in Diego Garcia, which is a small island in the, was, of the Indian I Ocean. I was going to ask you about Diego Garcia right. because the little horseshoe island. Absolutely, <laughs> it's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, it's uh, the uh, aircraft that I flew were maritime patrol aircraft. So in addition to flying, looking for submarines, we looked for surface traffic that was of interest. And from Diego Garcia, you can cover pretty much all of the Indian Ocean. We don't own that island. The British own that island. So we were uh, we were occupants, if you will. And at one time, I was there for four and a half months as the uh, operations officer for that organization. Right, occupants and allies. So mm -hmm. out of all those places, um, what's been the most memorable? I would say, uh, interestingly enough, my tour in Sicily was the most memorable. Uh, Pizza? Or what? No, uh, it was at, at a very young age. I had a number of uh, more senior assignments as department head and such like that. Uh, I learned an awful lot at a younger age than I would have normally learned. Uh, I flew aircraft that were not brand new. Had a few uh, startling assignments, that type of thing. So uh, I think that was the most educational job that I had in the Navy that was sort of out of the ordinary. And at one time, I, in addition to being the public affairs officer, at the same time I was a security officer. So I was putting people on report with one hand and patting them on the back with the other. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with that, Joe, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we'll be listening to more of your story and especially your experience with the Dayton VA. Great. We'll be right back. When I retired from the Air Force, I received my medical benefits for life through TRICARE. I didn't know I was also eligible for care through the VA, some of which I pay no copay for or an annual premium. Now I have options I didn't know I had before because of the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159 to enroll or visit dayton.va.gov. And we're back with Navy veteran aviator Joe Stewart. Joe, before we went to break, you were telling us about some of the bases, some of the places that you traveled. Now, there is something also in your history, and that is you're one of the few officers to teach at the Air Force Institute. Tell us about. Okay. Well, th thank you very much. Um, my career is sort of non-standard. I, I flew for about 15 years, and then I became an educator for the last seven years I was in the service. And that's because early on I got a master's degree in applied mathematics. So uh, at the end of my second squadron tour, I was not going to be back in a squadron again, and the Navy sent me to the Air Force Institute where I taught in the School of Systems Logistics. And uh, we were teaching 
subjects having to do with contracting for uh, aircraft and other systems in the in the service. And I taught there for three years, and in the process, I got a associate professor's promotion, so I got academic rank, which you normally don't get. Um, so uh, I enjoyed my teaching so much that a friend of mine who was at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California, uh, was getting ready to leave and uh, to be a, a commanding officer of a squadron, and they didn't have anybody to replace him. So I threw my, my uh, hat in the ring, and uh, as it turned out, I was uh, again assigned to teach at, uh, at the Naval Postgraduate School, which was my alma mater, if you will, for, for my master's degree. And uh, so I went out there, and uh, I was an instructor and assistant professor in the uh, operations research curriculum, but I also ran the Wargaming Center, which is a classified uh, computer-aided wargaming uh, uh, system, if you will. So we used that to teach young officers uh, of the uh, pay grade of 03 and 04 something more about strategy than they would have had up to that point. And uh, I really enjoyed that, but it also helped me uh, in my follow-on life to, uh, to have more specialties, if you will, when I went to look for corporate employment. Why, when you retired, you didn't go to commercial airlines? At the time I retired, the airlines were still not taking anyone over about the age of 35. Now, as it turns out, just within a very few years after that, they changed that. So I had a number of my uh, classmates uh, and uh, uh, my colleagues who were pilots that did go to fly for the airlines. Uh, however, I also had a daughter that just finished college and another one that was going into college and I could make more money as an operations analyst than I could in the, in the airlines at that time. So I decided to go that route. Love to fly, however. Education, I know you were an educator as far as you were at Wright Pat, and that's where, mm -hmm. for our listeners who may not know, that's where the Air Force Institute is, is right. at Wright Pat, mm -hmm. Air Force Base. Right. So once you got out, you went back to Michigan? No, I uh, immediately got a job in Dallas, Texas, oh, with okay. Texas Instruments. And uh, I was doing, again, uh, as a result of the research and development jobs I'd had, I was what was known as a, a specialty-coded weapon systems acquisition manager. Okay. So that was appealing to Texas Instruments. So I got a job, and they just had created a new operations research office. So I was one of the first three people hired into that, which ultimately became 12 people within the next couple of years. So we were doing studies to help Texas Instruments decide what to bid on in the way of new equipment that the government was looking for. And um, so I stayed there for three years, and then I got another uh, opportunity to move to Florida with a corporation called the MITRE Corporation which also has a uh, office here at Wright-Patterson. And that was a, a not-for-profit company, and I, I spent 15 years before I retired in, in that company. And so with your wealth of experience in the military and, you know, your your constant contact with veterans, you know, you've mm -hmm. transferred that over to, to serving uh, in the county that you live and, and working with the Dayton VA as a stakeholder member. Right. Um, Tell us, if you can, what different ways do you currently assist veterans in, in the region? Primarily, uh, I try to do a personal, be a personal resource to them. I want to have them have somebody they can go to if they have a peculiar issue or if they need to know how can they find out information about the VA. Mm -hmm. Some of them 
again, don't want to apply because they don't think they're qualified or they don't think they're worthy, you know. Yes, and, and I we try, hear that often. That, yeah. That's a very uh, common thread. Right. I try to convince them that uh, this is something that they uh, signed up for when they signed the, the form that said that I'm willing to give my life for the service of the country, you know, mm -hmm. in whatever capacity. Uh, the other thing that I enjoy doing is I enjoy just uh, knowing uh, older people. I've always felt that uh, in our society, youth is uh, given too much credence, and we have a lot of older people that uh, that really can do a lot for the society if we can keep them busy. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned the fact that there are so many veterans who don't understand that, you know, this, this benefit's available to them and, and that we uh, continue to fulfill President Lincoln's promise to care for those who have served in our nation's military and for their families and caregivers and survivors as well. Um, that's, uh, that's huge uh, for us to make sure that those veterans are aware of that. But tell us, uh, first of all, when did you start taking advantage of that benefit? And what has your experience been? Okay, I originally uh, applied when I first got out of the Navy because I had service-connected uh, disabilities. And uh, when I moved to Texas, the, the disabled American veterans uh, walked my paperwork through the center in Waco. So ever since the first year I was out of the Navy, I had a disability compensation situation. That was in 1988. So I've been involved in uh, receiving and, uh, and uh, corresponding with the VA ever since then. Uh, I wasn't really able to apply the time until I got here, until after my first wife passed away. Mm -hmm. But then I, one of the things that you can always do if you haven't got resources, you can always use your time as something you can spend. And I, I thought that the uh, invitation to be on a stakeholders committee was one of the ways I could do that. Uh, so it's it's mainly interpersonal relationships with the individual veterans that I value most. It turns out that there are people in Springfield that spend a lot more time helping veterans than I do, but I have more of a conduit into the actual Veterans Administration capability than many of them do. So what would you tell anybody out there who is saying, oh, the VA, not the VA, no, no way? I would tell them that uh, they actually are a very, very good medical organization and they have very, very good benefits. If you don't want to participate in their medical uh, benefits, uh, I would say that you have to put your name out there in order to find out what you are eligible for. And it's just paperwork at that point. Uh, it may be, like you said, that they may not be eligible today, but because of some change in the rules or, or whatever, they become eligible in the future. And also now there are ways that you can actually pass their VA benefits to your children or grandchildren in some instances. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, there's Veterans Administration insurance, life insurance, if, if there's some reason that you otherwise can't get it. So um, there are all these things out there and they're already being paid for by the government. They're already judged by the Congress to be worthy of, of public money. And so why shouldn't you go and see what you're eligible for? Uh, that's to me. That's the the underlying issue. Find out what you're eligible for. Absolutely, and we really appreciate you telling uh, our listeners all of that and and helping encourage other veterans to take advantage of those benefits. So yes, we've been talking with Navy veteran Joe Stewart. Uh, yeah, again, Joe, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Uh, we love hearing stories like this from you and all our veterans in the area. Thanks again for sharing your time with us today. Scott, it's been my pleasure, and thank you for the invitation. Thank you for your service. Thank you, sir.
My name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz. Jerry Reed. Kate Weber. These are real veterans facing a real challenge. I have PTSD. And I have PTSD. I have PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone. I was still in a war zone in my mind. But treatment can turn your life around. Treatment has really saved my life. To learn about PTSD and how treatment can help you, call your local VA medical center or visit ptsd.va.gov. We just want to tell everyone a little bit about the PACT Act, which was recently signed into law by President Biden this past fall. This is new legislation affording veterans, approximately 6 million veterans across the country, expanded benefits for anyone who is exposed to toxins in a variety of areas of operation with presumptive conditions. To learn more about this, go to va.gov PACT to find out what theaters of operations and what presumptive conditions might make you eligible for care through the VA and the PACT Act. Again, that website is www.va.gov PACT. I was in the military. I didn't know that when I left, I was eligible for health care through the VA. I thought you had to be disabled or been wounded. Another vet told me I should check it out. Now I have the care I need at the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159 to enroll or visit dayton.va.gov. Once again, we want to thank Navy veteran Joe Stewart for taking time to tell his story and to share his experience with the Dayton VA Medical Center. We want to say thanks again to our special guests for taking time today to share their story. We truly enjoy hearing stories from veterans from across the region and learning more about how they found care through the Dayton VA Medical Center. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind them if they are a veteran and are not enrolled to enroll with the Veterans Health Administration to receive health care benefits through the Dayton VA Medical Center. It's easy and it doesn't cost a thing. You just need to be a veteran. The simplest way to start enrollment is to call our enrollment and eligibility office at 937-268-6511, extension 4105. They can schedule an appointment for you to come to the Dayton campus or help make an appointment at one of the surrounding community-based outpatient clinics located at Springfield, Richmond, Lima, and Middletown. Again, that number is 937 938-6511, extension 4105. Veterans may also enroll by visiting www.choose.va.gov slash health. While there, you can choose from applying online or by phone or by mail. It's just that simple, really. As I said before, it doesn't cost a thing to apply. So what are you waiting for? Call us today or If you know of a veteran who is not enrolled, have them call to start taking advantage of this benefit. If you're a veteran, it's your VA. Sign up today. Join us again for another episode of My VA Dayton with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Our episodes drop the 1st and 15th of each month. I'm Scott Lease with your co-host, Greg Tucker. Thanks again for listening to My VA Dayton.